Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest is Dr. Carl Barnes. Carl Barnes was born in Wilson, North Carolina, which he refers to as the dirt roads of Wilson, North Carolina, and is a 1980 graduate of Beddington HS. He joined the United States Navy in 1983. He rose through the ranks from deck seaman E1 and retired as a commander 05. But he didn't stop there. He's authored four books and is a demand speaker on resilience. Welcome, Carl. Well, thank you, Dr. Lockyer. It is an honor to be with you today. I'm thankful. Yes. So let's go through your journey. Tell me about your Navy career. Well, great question. As I reminisce on my Navy career, believe it or not, as I lived and grew up on the dirt roads of Wilson, North Carolina, I thought way back then that I did not want to remain on the dirt roads of North Carolina and work in factories. Nothing against factories. I just wanted to see the world and get an education. And I knew that in order to do that, I had to leave the dirt roads. So I remember when I tried to join the Navy, my father actually talked me out of at least three times. Three times he said, no, son, go to college. But you know what? I wasn't a focused person at that time. It took getting in the Navy after the third try because I wasn't a test taker. And so I tried and tried. I kept knocking on the door, but I refused to let that door stay closed in my face. So lo and behold, one day the door opened. They had a program, you know, where I went in undesignated with no guarantee schools or anything. And at this time I had no degrees. All I knew is that I wanted to get through that door and make the best of it. And I'm looking back and I'm so grateful that the door opened and I took every avenue possible to live a fantastic life through United States Navy, donning the cloth of the nation of 35 years. So what gave you that resilience? I, I mean, you started in a negative background. You started with the door slamming in your face. You started with your father opposed to you going into the Navy, and yet you persisted. How can that be? Well, you know what? Great question. I say there is one word that comes to my mind and it's termed from Les Brown. I was hungry. I was hungry for more in life. You see, when you're hungry, you go after that appetite. And so I knew that if I stayed in the dirt roads of North Carolina, that I was limited. But my horizon, I wanted to broaden it. I really wanted to travel. And most of all, I wanted education. But I knew in order to do that, that resilience part of me, I believe, was birthed in me in my mother's womb. Because, you know, I was almost a aborted child. But I believe that I was destined for resilience in my mother's womb. And by me being on this earth, 
It just gave me the zeal and the drive to one more. Sometimes I ask my mother, how did I get all this drive? I was always hungry for more, hungry for more books, hungry to read more, hungry for education. You know, I would always see these stories on TV and see the world. And I said, I want to be a part of that. I want to see this big creation that God has given us. And you know what? I was able to do that. And I look back and I'm so glad that I kept knocking on the door because I knew what it meant to face rejection. I knew what it meant when people said no to me, but I refused to let that be my destination. So where did your naval career take you on a global basis? Wow, I love it. So I can actually say that I've I've been to Europe several times. I've been to South America. And because the Navy has ships, I've done a lot of deployments. So on those six-month deployments, I got to go to countries that people have never heard of or read about, but I got to be there, go to the Holy Land. I got to go to Singapore. I got to live in Japan. I love Asia. I became a very, very international uh, food connoisseur because it gave me the kind of exposure that only you can read in books, but I actually lived there, Ecuador, South America, those are just a few places. But I look back, you know what, I got to see places that my parents would never see. I remember going to the Holy Land, and they were never able to be there when we was traveling there with the Navy. And I bought a slideshow, and I showed them this is the Holy Land. And I went to the pyramids. I got to see King Tut. I mean, ride camels. I mean, things that it's like, is this Christmas? But I took advantage of every tour, every opportunity through United States Navy to see this beautiful world of creation beyond the dirt road of Wilson, North Carolina. Well, that's huge, you know, and and that's what that gave you the opportunity. But it also gave you the opportunity to get your education in order. Tell us about that journey. Thank you for that. But as you, I mentioned earlier, education was a priority. So I went in with no education. I didn't even qualify to be in the Navy because I was a low test taker, but I did not allow the test scores to stop me from my destiny. So when the Navy on board ships, we had professors that would uh, ride us and take classes. I remember one time I was in like four different programs. At the time, they had videotape classes. They had corresponding classes. There were no online classes at this time when I went in. But I took every means possible to take classes on board the ship. And then when I got to shore duty, I got to take my weekends off on my free time and take classes. So every opportunity, I took a class here. I took a class there. And it all added up when I uh, got my first undergraduate from Southern Illinois University. They had a campus on the Navy base. So it wasn't a traditional route because they accommodated the men and women in uniform to take classes on the weekend, after hours. And I took those opportunities to take every class I could to finish up my degrees. And as time went on, on my free time, instead of going out doing all the luxury things of life, I was in the books because I was hungry for education. And five degrees later, I look back, would I do it again? Yes, I would. And I would encourage anyone, if you want something, if you're hungry for it, go for it. But I had the zeal, I had the motivation and the expertise inside of me that said, you know what, you can do better and you can do more. And so that's what led to my journey as a lifelong learner, because I am today a lifelong learner. I love reading and knowing more about there because the world is evolving. And as it evolves, I want to stay on top of what's going on. So that means as a lifelong learner, I get to continue my education process. Now, not only did you did that, but you were 
able to get military honors. Let's talk about those for a few minutes. Yes, those honors. I look back, I have so many honors. I had a war before I uh, took everything down, but I got so many awards. I, most of my awards came from volunteer services. I've always done extra things outside the uniform and poured overseas to do things for like example, reading uh, is fundamental. I would go read to elementary school children. I would pass out books uh, when I got opportunity. I remember working for the Red Cross, any opportunity to volunteer. And so what happened, those hours accumulated to awards. And I didn't know that. And I wasn't doing it just because of the awards, but it opened a door because I was giving up service of myself, my free time to uh, better the lives of others, especially uh, young men and women in school. I would go read books. I, my, I was a big brother. I was in effect. I was big brother of the year in Pensacola, Florida, because I went there and I uh, wanted to mentor a young man. And I remember his name so well. His name is Denzel, not Washington, but it was Denzel. I mean, he came from a troubled home and I applied for the program in Pensacola. So I spent the next four years being his big brother. That led to me being big brother of the year. I didn't do it because of that, because I spent so much time with him, teaching him how to read, write better. I mean, I bought him suits and clothing and his self-esteem built up. And ever since then, I consider myself a big brother. I never had a big brother. Even in all my ships, I always got the sailors to volunteer to go out and do things in the community. And on my last ship, I was on an aircraft carrier in California. I remember my commanding officer wanted 1,000 hours of community service. We actually got over 1,000 sailors to save the city of San Diego a million dollars because we went to clean their parks. And then we did it, you know, voluntarily. And that led to uh, the ship getting a big, massive award, which the city of San Diego gave the, uh, the ship the key to the city. And that was on the USS uh, Theodore Roosevelt. And by me being a command chaplain, I was able to get all of these volunteers on board to do something more, not looking at themselves, but give to the community. And it left a lasting impact because I found out when you do something for others, your self-esteem goes up, but also the command looks good. The Navy looks good. And I was a part of that legacy to say, you know what, let's do something more beyond these walls, beyond this ship to do something in our community to make an effect. Let them know that we are here in your community, but we're going to also beautify the community. We did two parks. And I tell you, I look back and I'm so proud that I was able to make that happen because of the position I was in to do volunteer service work, which led to a lot of medals, a lot of awards, which I have that, you know, and even the presidential uh, volunteer award, I got that medal too. So I'm very proud, but not just because of the medals, but it also opened the door to get those because I was doing the service work that got the recognition necessary to wear the medals and get the accolades. You know, one thing I know about the Navy in the United States, it is a very service-oriented organization, and it really helps communities wherever it goes. That is correct. And every place I can say from San Diego to Norfolk, I mean, you name it, from the West Coast, to East Coast, and even overseas, the Navy's presence has done a, a, a quite a bit. I've gotten people to join. I will go home in uniform. My father says, son, put your uniform on. Be proud of it because, you know, you worth so much. But I did because people say, oh, my God, I want to do that. You did that. And when they hear my experiences, the travels and the countries I visited, you know, living overseas, they say, you know what? It was bigger than me. And what I did 
was do something bigger than me because everybody wants to be a contributor. So by me wearing a uniform for three decades, starting at the lowest of ranks and then working my way up to senior officer, I learned a lot of traits. I learned to be resilient because before I was an officer, I was turned down for several commissioning programs. They said no, but I never gave up. I took those lemons and I made lemonade out of it because every time the door closed, I kept knocking on the door. So something in me, that hunger, as I mentioned earlier, that hunger allowed me to keep pursuing the dreams of an education and also seeing the world and expanding my horizon to help others, to leave a legacy, but also to mentor. And in my books, I just, I'm very simple. I just serve the uh, basic things that have helped me to navigate my storms in my life. Hopefully those lessons will help others say, you know what, if you've gotten through those storms, I can do the same thing. But it was through life lessons, through the Navy, been on all platforms of ship, aircraft carriers, frigates. I've also served the Coast Guard and the Marine Corps, because they don't have chaplains. So I have a set of Coast Guard uniforms and Marine Corps uniforms. So I got to experience the plethora of service to this country. So let's go through your books now. Tell me about why you wrote your books and the message and maybe some of them, please. Thank you very much for that. I was inspired to write because of my mother. She always said, son, are you writing? And I said, you know what? And it led me on this journey. I remember my first book was a co-author with a friend of mine. And we just uh, started writing programs about bouncing back. And I remembered our devotional, 21-day devotional nuggets for resilient living. Every one of those books had the topic of resilience in it. So I found out that even today, I said, either we're in a storm, coming out of a storm, or heading to a storm. Everything I found out is a theme of resilience. Even the crisis just happened up in Fort Myers. Unfortunately, we pray for those people, the victims there, but that went through that crisis. But the thing about it, resilience come out of it. I found it in a lot of our tragedies, even my tragedies, I thought, in my life, something in us say, you know what, we can get through this. We've gone through some dark times times in our life. And my book is just the lessons that I've gone through to share with others and say, you know what? This is what I went through. Yes, I went through a divorce. It was painful, but I look back and I say, you know, I survived it. It was a dark day, but I got over that. Why? Because of resilience. I found the tools that helped me to say, you know what? Going to the gym, getting mentors, you know, people that I looked up to, to talk to, but I found that it had to come within me. I believe I was my biggest coach and my biggest mentor. Like I said, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of studying. And so those tools I put in my toolkit, as I used to say, we all put in tools in our toolkit. So the tools that I've learned in 30 plus years on active duty, I take those tools and I put them in my, my books to share with others that these lessons will help you persevere in your life stormy seas. That is a pretty significant statement you said about these scary journeys. Can you go through some more of those so maybe oh. identify <laughs> yes, that. scary journeys, for example, scary journeys are the fact from day one when I was uh, in the Navy, like I said, it took three times, three times to join me because I was not a test taker. It was scary because when I went in, I went in sort of like an open contract where most people go in, they guaranteed an A school, you know, a trade school. I didn't have none of that. So it was scary knowing that I went into the unknown, knowing that I wanted better, but I had to take, as I say, a leap of faith. I had to plunge into the deep to know that there is something out there. But sometimes we don't take a leap of faith or a plunge. I call it crazy faith. So I had crazy faith from the beginning because, 
excuse me, I didn't know that I could do this because I didn't know that I was capable of getting education. Because remember, if I had to go the traditional route, SATs, ACTs, I probably would not have got on the camp, college campus because I wasn't a test taker. So being a non-traditional route, it was scary. Even scary knowing that I applied for commission programs and they said no. And they said, you are going to stay in? Really? For example, at my 50-year mark in the United States Navy, I was in 1997. I raised my hand for four more years in the Navy. I was at E6 at the time. I was aboard USS Denver in San Diego. You want to hear scary. So at this time, after applying for all those programs, I wanted to become a Navy chaplain. I applied in order to apply for the Navy chaplain as a chaplain candidate to go to seminary. I had to be off active duty. This is what's scary. I put a whole 15 year career on the line with no guarantees, no service pay to apply for a program. So uh, I report on board January of 1997 to the USS Denver. I put in a request to my commanding officer and said, sir, my age is about to meet the cutoff. I need to get out the Navy. Now, remember, I'm on a ship. You get ready to deploy for six months. You just got on board. You asked to get out. Well, I believe that we're destined to be at the right place at the right time. And I was at the right place at the right time. And one person changed the destiny of my career. My commanding officer was the only person to say yes to me getting out, even though he was taking a loss in many. But he said, I will take a chance on you. And by him doing it, I got out of a 15-year career. Put everything on the line because the Navy said I had to be a civilian to talk to me. They wouldn't talk to me on active duty. So I took a plunge. That was very scary. It was so scary because I didn't have a job. I was married at the time. I had bills. But something said I I didn't care. If I had to do it, I had to do it right now. I mean, I was so hungry for the next level that I put everything on the line, pursue, pursue something that I could not see. But I took a leap of faith and I called it crazy faith. A couple of months later, I walked off the ship. Nine months later, September, a free person out of my four-year contract, off a ship, off a six-month deployment with a 50-50 chance that they would say yes. A couple of months later, they said yes. I got commissioned as an ensign, an old one, as a chaplain candidate to start seminary. I went back to the ship a year later and went to that commanding officer and said, thank you. That one person made a difference in the rest of my life and my career because it was a scary time. But looking back, if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be talking today. I wouldn't have these books on resilience. And I would not have retired after 30 plus years in the Navy as a chaplain if I didn't take that scariness and turn it around for something positive. So thank you for that question because it was scary. My ex-wife thought I was scary. The sailor said, you're crazy. And you know what? I'm glad I did that because I took that fear and I turned it to something monumentous because I couldn't see the end of the road, but I knew that something was there because I took a chance on life. Excellent. I'm going to interrupt you there, Carl. This show is called the How to Live a Fantastic Life show. How do you live a fantastic life? How do I live a fantastic life? I love it. How do I live a fantastic life? I take every day with an attitude of gratitude. That's the big thing. I don't take for granted nothing around me. My parents are still living. I have a grandmother that's going on 97 years old in November and living a fantastic life. I got to be raised by my great grandmother and my grandmother. But the biggest thing in having a fantastic life, my parents raised me and instilled into me faith. Those things that if I didn't have the material things or the money, they instilled in me the positiveness of go after your dreams. But even though my father said not to join the Navy, 
and going behind his back, something said I wanted more. And he became my biggest cheerleader. So living a fantastic life is, first of all, you have to have an attitude of gratitude. And second, I said, sometimes you got to have crazy faith. Do things just, just, just to do them and say, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because life is short. And if you don't take it granted, uh, take advantage of it now. I said, coulda, woulda, shoulda, but are not your friends. We second guess ourselves. So I'm so glad I didn't second guess myself because it's been a fantastic life seeing the world, getting the education, but also learning most of all to have an attitude of gratitude. I would say that's the biggest priority to me is having a fantastic life because attitude determines everything. It determines your altitude, how far you go in life, because that attitude will make or break you. But I believe that by me having an attitude of gratitude. It has taken me to places that I would have never seen on my own if my attitude wasn't in check. So I love that fantastic life because attitude will make a difference. Huge. Well, how can people find out more and more about you, your books, and your world, Carl? Thank you so much. So I have um, uh, one of the um, uh, Instagram, on Instagram, Dr. Carl M. Barnes on Instagram. I'm also located on Facebook. Just put in Carl M. Barnes. I'm on LinkedIn. Just put in uh, Dr. Carl Barnes. But also... Can you spell, can you spell Barnes, please? Because not everybody's going to spell that the same. Yes. Just like the bookstore, Barnes & Noble is B-A-R-N-E-S. Barnes. Carl with the C-A-R-L-M as in Michael Barnes. B-R-N-E-S. And I'm on social platforms of Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And also CarlMBarnes.com is where my products are. And if anybody's interested, Trent Press is my new publisher. Trent, T-R-I-N-T dot com press. And you look for the authors, you look for Dr. Carl Barnes, and all of my books will come there with TrentPress.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here, Carl. It, it has really been a pleasure, and I, I look forward to this. And it's always an honor with an attitude of gratitude to share my stories with little nuggets I can to help someone to persevere in their life stormy seas and live their fantastic life because I have been living a fantastic life, and I am so grateful for that. And thank you for the privilege to share my story. Excellent. And ladies and gentlemen, please check out my website as well. That's Dr. D-R Ellen, A-L-L-E-N, Lyca, L-Y-C-K-A dot com. There, I will give you a golden pearl a week by signing up. So it'll help you to have a fantastic life. Thank you again for listening. And please check back often because we have lots of interesting guests. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Lyca's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.